This is the Mums Net podcast brought to you in association with our lovely sponsors, Fairy Non Bio. I'm Fee Glover, and this one is all about parenting off grid. And I'm not talking about solar panels and remote small holdings, we mean parenting away from the comforts of home. Let's get your coat on. <laughs> Sometimes just getting past the door can seem like an achievement of bare grills proportions when you have a baby or a toddler. New horizons seem so tantalising and so beyond reach. We're often told how important it is to get outside every day when you have a baby, but experience tells us that's precisely when it all goes wrong. So what about holidays or longer trips away? In this podcast, we'll hear tales from seasoned mums netters about their worst moments when parenting in public, an extreme sport worthy of Olympic inclusion, plus disasters and successes when travelling further afield. We've got experts on hand to help us identify which are the flashpoints to watch out for and the best experts, which are you lot. We're going to have a real good time. My daughter's eight months old and we'd like to go away for a long weekend, but I'm really worried that her routine will be destroyed. She won't sleep at night because of unfamiliar surroundings and we'll both spend the week being complete cranks. How do you manage to keep things the same-ish when you're away? I took mine to Australia between three and four months old. He surprised me and adjusted far better than his parents to a changing routine. We went away with our one-year-old last year on a UK holiday, but my gosh, did I find it hard work. So much so that we actually left a day early as I could not wait to get back to normality. Is it just me who finds this? No, it's not just you. We aborted a trip to Austria on the tarmac at Stansted once. The captain said we had a three-hour delay and we couldn't leave the plane. We had a three-year-old and a baby. It wasn't for us or any of the other passengers on the plane either. We ended up going to Surrey for our holidays for the next two years. Estimated travel time, one hour, 45 minutes from home. Lovely. Yeah. Might by the Queen or something. You should get an award for um, a long-haul flight with a baby. I joined mum's netters Hattie, Nida and Jenny to chew over the realities of going away with baby and small children and bear with us there's a fair bit of poo involved here we've got quite a good deal on quite a posh hotel in Gran Canaria we really I don't know what we were thinking I think it was the naivety of new parents that it was just it was just going to be fine and um, I have a distinct recollection of chasing a screaming poo covered toddler around a swimming pool while these other guests looked on horrified <laughs> as I attempted to to catch her and clean her up our last holiday um, I actually kind of not faked pictures, but I made a point of kind of getting pictures at good moments to make the holiday look better than it was. <laughs> oh, we've all done that. <laughs> Selfie of us. Be quiet. Stop frowning. Uh, Hattie, what about you? This year in the summer, we took the three of them to Devon. And it actually went quite well. Um, we were in a lovely rental place. Uh, we wanted there to be a little hot tub outside so my husband and I could have a drink and sit outside in the evening, regardless of the weather and uh, when the kids were in bed. Um, but then, actually, nothing to do with the kids, but we broke a couple of things in the house. So we had to pay for that. Um, and then on the way home, the one-year-old got really sick. And, um, yeah, so we had this awful car trip where, she got really bad diarrhea on the way home and my eldest is quite melodramatic and she was sat next to her in the car for the rest of the car journey um the youngest had diarrhea and the three-year-old who was supposedly supposed to be sleeping all the way didn't sleep at all because we had to put all the windows down because the smell so all this air coming in and and then the road was closed so we had to go a long way around so 
it was diarrhea gate with the windows down and faux retching for the last two hours of the journey. Oh, the gap between expectation and reality is never quite as marked as it is when holidaying with small children. Here is Dr. Rebecca Chilvers. I think she's almost suggesting a flowchart. I think one of the real flashpoints often for parents is realising that that blissful, relaxing time out that they had before children just isn't going to be quite the same once your three-year-old's still demanding their conflicts at six o'clock in the morning. Perhaps it's helpful to discuss as a couple what you really want to get out of your holiday and work out how you can both get something of what you need. So, for example, if reading a book by the pool with a lovely cup of coffee is an essential part of your holiday, then how can your partner um, facilitate that so that you can have that that particular thing it's it's also about being proactive about making it as easy as possible so if you're looking after a very active toddler think about where your environment is don't book yourself into a hotel where there's a there's a a vertical drop at the edge of the garden and an unattended swimming pool because you can be sure that you will be spending your whole time worrying about their safety so it's about being a bit proactive and giving yourself the best chance of enjoying time as a family travel cot pie chair Nappies, wipes. Uh, high chair, did you say high chair? Can I bring my scooter? Uh, no, we're not going to take the scooter. And as holidaying with children means umpteen more things to take, there are inevitably umpteen more things to forget. But really, really, what do you actually need when you're making a trip away with a small child? One of the best things, and this is again, this is one of my purchases for new mums, I always get them a, a changing wallet as opposed to a changing bag. They're just quite small and you can fit a couple of nappies and a packet of wipes in them and they fit in a normal size handbag so that you don't need to take a great big changing bag loaded full of stuff. The first time I tried to go anywhere with my daughter, I strapped her on in the sling, picked up the changing bag and then promptly almost fell over because I couldn't manage with the weight of her and all the kit that I decide I must bring with her. Snacks, I think. Snacks are the way forward. Lots of little snacks that are quite difficult to get out, like raisins and stuff can keep them busy for quite a long time. Um, Rice cakes, stuff like that. I basically, on planes, just feed and give them entertainment like an iPad or we got a portable DVD player really cheaply once actually and we could just put the same in the night garden (laughs) going round and round. They didn't even have the sound but it didn't bother them, just something to look at whilst they eat their raisins. The iPlayer app with some programmes downloaded onto onto your phone is always quite handy for if you're stuck somewhere with a bored, fractious child. A changing mat because you don't know where you're going to end up changing them so you don't really want to be smearing poo on, you know... A coffee shop floor. One of those things that I got sold that I then realised I really never needed uh, was the portable blackout blind that you could take to other people's houses. And if you've ever arrived at somebody else's house, you know, maybe just because you're going there for the night or at some distant relatives that you're trying to be nice to and said, do you mind if I go up to the bedroom and and install a new blind in your house? (laughs) And of course, you don't need it. You you can just put a blanket across a window. But at the time, I thought that is the purchase that's going to revolutionise my life. I'm glad someone else was sold them. I've got two. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) Those portable sterilisers for travelling are quite good. You can get microwave microwavable portable sterilizers especially if you're bottle feeding because that can be quite a minefield if you're going abroad and you have a small baby who's bottle fed and you're worried about you know well they they have to have stuff sterilized don't they before six months so that we they always prove quite useful even if you only go away for 24 hours or heck even just an afternoon away from the hamster wheel of domestic life go out 
get into the fresh air, even if frogs are falling from the sky and you have a twitching eye because being alone with your baby or toddler has made you socially phobic. Actually, if you have the twitching eye thing, call me and I'll take you out myself. As Dr. Sam Wass explains, the parent-child relationship needs the odd gust of fresh air to blow right through it. So there's lots of reasons why being outdoors is simply a more relaxing uh, place to be in. And one of the things is kind of stress is the kind of thing that bounces off walls. I mean, we use this phrase bouncing off the walls. And it literally is the case when a child wants to run in one direction, then they hit a wall, they have to turn around. They're not kind of in this relaxing setting where they can just turn and run and there's nothing to stop them. So it's very important that they do have this experience kind of from time to time. You know, you're bringing up a young child in the city, you know, they all have drilled into them. They have to stop every road that they come to. So what you often see when you're walking um, with young children is they'll walk for a bit and then they'll have to stop um, and then they'll run and then stop and run and stop. And just being in that process where they can run and they don't have to stop themselves is a very relaxing and hugely pleasurable experience for young children. The Mumsnet podcast is brought to you with the help of Fairy Non Bio and the help doesn't end there. They've got these new liquid tabs available. They're softest ever for the whole family. As with every aspect of parenting, how far you choose to go off grid depends entirely on your personal comfort zone. My grid is not your grid. Some people prefer to just keep within zone home for the first couple of years. Others see the baby years as a chance to make the most of their wanderlust and free places on planes. And then there are those I take my hat off to, but also look at as if they're from a different species. Festival mums. These mums are talking from Shambhala Festival. I was a little bit nervous about it being too loud, so I didn't stay out that long. But yeah, I did have a good boogie with her. I mean, I've got a sling and I've got a pram, and the mud hasn't impacted on me using the pram at all, even though it is quite muddy. Um, and you can just use the sling and go around all the venues. And there's lots of spaces where I can sit down and feed, and there's shade, and everybody's just really lovely and really helpful. This is his first festival. Really easy, actually. Um, I think more because of the festival. It feels like they thought of everything. Obviously, it's harder to get out of the tent, like just like what it is at home, because you have to think of a hundred things before you leave. But he's loved it. He's been really chilled out because there's so much going on. The colours, the children running around. No, my, my advice would be just go for it. As long as you've got enough clothes, enough nappies, then just go for it. Especially here, because if you have forgotten something, then a lot of the festivals have stuff there that you can get anyway. I wouldn't worry about it. Some people go even further afield. Nida and her husband made a courageous decision to go travelling when their daughter was a baby, and I mean really travelling. My husband and I were just talking one day and he'd said, OK, the thing I've always wanted to do is go travelling around Europe in a motorhome, but we can't do that now that we've got a child. And I sort of said, well, what do you mean? Why Why couldn't we? And his eyes lit up. And then, you know, within a month and a half, we were driving around Europe. Um, and it was fantastic. I mean, it was obviously there were ups and downs. Our daughter was one, hadn't really started teething yet, so we were lucky. And she wasn't walking yet either. Uh, so she was really portable. And um, it was just so liberating. Obviously, when it wasn't wonderful, kind of the sort of disgusting poos when you can't stop. Yeah, but you could you could have that on the M62, couldn't you? Yeah, there, there are yeah there are worse places to have that kind of. And do you think that it made you a more relaxed and more kind of 
gung-ho parent. A lot of people thought we were completely insane. Hmm. Um, And it still, you know, didn't stop us because we really, really wanted to go. And then in going and doing it and having this fantastic experience gave us this confidence. So I think we both became a lot more confident um, just in in being grown-ups, let alone parents. Dig deep now. If there's one thing designed to test that parental confidence, it's a public tantrum. As your unsocialised child gets a little older and is exposed to public scrutiny, your skills as a parent are laid bare like entrails in the hot sun. Temper tantrums in public are just the worst. They make me feel so uncomfortable, um, which is so ridiculous because I used to work with children with challenging behaviour who had tantrums, you know, up to a really late age, 19 or so, in public, and I would have to manage their behaviour. I didn't have a problem with that at all. Um, But when it's your own child, there's something so deeply personal about it, and especially if someone criticises the way that you're dealing with it. Someone shouted out a window at me, well, someone shut that child up. And I was eight and a half months pregnant, and she was on the floor, and I couldn't pick her up. And, like, she just, she wasn't coming up anytime soon and that was definitely a go home and have a cry tantrum i stand in solidarity <laughs> with every mum who's got a tantruming child today because i've been there and it's just horrible you always try and give them a sort of supportive smile don't you when you see another mum dealing with it in public you try and you don't know whether to say anything or not because you know you you want to be like oh me too sometimes I want to cry for them because I, I just identify so much with it I do carry bribes with me I mean that's totally against every behaviour policy ever isn't it it's like, bribery is you the only shut thing up, that works with my son <laughs> yeah yeah it's the same with my son I have to I have to have a stash of bribes around my person Indeed, and be not afraid. Pretty much every child in the world will have a public tantrum at some point, and you may well find yourself staggering out of a supermarket, dragging a toddler clamped to your ankle, while someone assails you with some advice you didn't ask for, you don't need, and you can't really hear over the screeching anyway. But don't let it dull your out-and-about spirit. Okay, so Dr. Sam, this is where we really, really, really need you to tell us that everything's going to be okay. Tantrums. As a doctor, with young children as your speciality, do you hold the secret to how to deal with a tantrum? What's going on when a kid has a tantrum? So tantruming behaviour is very normal. There's research suggesting that something like, I think it's 95% of two-year-olds will tantrum at least once a week. um, And it decreases as you get older. Many children continue to tantrum even through to seven or eight. Um, What's happening in a tantrum from a child's point of view is basically that their emotions are taking control. Um, So we go into this thing called a self-sustaining cycle. So something initially will occur to upset a child and then they will start to become, you know, do these behaviours like thrashing and kicking and screaming and becoming oppositional that then upset the child more and more. So it's like a black hole. The closer you are into the kind of the point of the singularity, the stronger the attraction is. So there's a lot of research suggesting that when you're beyond a certain point in a tantrum, there really is nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how you as a parent react to it. But when you catch the tantrum early on, before you've got deep into this black hole, you can change things. And there the research suggests that it's simple things like distraction. So don't focus on whatever is the trigger for the tantrum. Simply try to get them to think about something else. That's the most effective way of stopping the tantrum from happening. But then once the tantrum has started to happen, there really is kind of little you can do often other than sit tight and wait for the storm to pass. 
I, I really struggle with being consistent with tantrums. And now it's still difficult to be consistent because I, you know, I will just give her what she wants because I don't want her to keep screaming. And before she could communicate properly, it was just, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'd just be like throwing all these different things at her and it just wasn't working. Yeah, it's just really tough. So I sympathise with everyone. I think no matter how consistent you are normally, you're always going to have your moments where you just think, oh, do you know what? I can't be bothered today. Have some chocolate buttons. Shut up. <laughs> I think any parenting challenge under the eyes of others is always more difficult. Um, I think I'd first say, again, be proactive about it and try to work out why your child is struggling. So for example, we know with small children, if they're overtired, if they're hungry, if they're bored, it can very easily result in, in, a, in a tantrum. If they are having a tantrum in public, whilst it's very, very difficult, my key piece of advice would just be to keep calm. We parent best in, when we can just keep a level head, despite the fact inside that we might be frustrated and upset that they're behaving in that way. We've got to be the grown-up. and We've got to show them that we can control our emotions to help them control theirs. Here are a few final thoughts on tantrums collected from the Mumsnet boards. Distraction is the best thing. Oh look, is that Dora the Explorer who's just walked into the cafe? I wonder what she's doing here. I find choices work quite well sometimes. Shall we get the cheese first or the cornflakes? What do you think? If you can't avoid it, then threaten to leave if things start to escalate. And if you say you're going to leave, then you have to leave. And do remember to hug your child and yourself once it's all calmed down again. Or go for a quick lie down in a darkened room. I've got some spare blinds if you need them. I'm Fee Glover, this is a Testbed production, and you've been listening to the Mumsnet podcast. We've been talking about parenting off-grid. Thanks to our lovely sponsors, Fairy Non Bio, who made this episode possible, and thanks to Hattie Nider and Jenny for coming over to tea and dispensing their many wisdoms. And mostly, thank you to you for listening. Listening.